episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Primus. It's the podcast where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. We learned about OSHA compliance, all kinds of stuff in the show. Today, I'm not going to be teaching you the stuff that we're going to learn. We're just going to learn some stuff. We're going to learn it from my man, Jay Allen. And you've got to know that man. Safety FM fame, the man who has the vision for the safety environment, but yet he could go beyond that and be himself. And he's going to help us today with some financing. (laughs) I honestly go to him for some uh, thoughts, some inspiration on this issue. And uh, I said, hey, Maybe what you could teach me is something you could help teach uh, some of our safety consultants out there. <laughs> so, Mr. J. Allen, and I should say Dr. J. Allen, <sighs> you are the man. Thank Uh-oh, you for coming on the now show. I'm, now I'm scared. Now this is like, <laughs> there's too much hype. You know, I have to tell you, it's such an awkward thing because I don't think we've ever done a proper introduction before. So, us sitting here, pretending like we were not talking before you hit the record button makes it very weird for me because then it's like, am I supposed to not acknowledge that I know what's going on or do, do we just kind of go from there? And you fake it. That's, <laughs> a, that's what you do, right? And in industries like this, you just fake it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, uh, we all know what you knew. <laughs> You've been talking well, for a while. The other portion here is this, is that you called it the Safety Consultant Podcast, but you told me that I needed video. I'm so confused. That's what, what are you, now it's a video podcast. What's going on over here? Yes, it I is. Call that TV. I call that TV. <laughs> well, honestly, I call it maximizing my time. So <laughs> I am doing safety consultant TV and safety consultant podcast at the same time. So uh, those that are on the safety consultant TV, you guys get to see this interview. Uh, you get to see the really cool lighting behind Dr. J and uh, how he's got his nice little rated R safety show shirt on. And those of you that are listening to the podcast, you get to hear that majestic voice of his and uh we get to talk a little bit about budgeting and the idea about that especially as consultants because for us we've got this thing where uh there's seasons and sometimes people think i need safety when it's osha record keeping time and i'm gonna get a consultant then or uh, we're about to get our annual audit from the insurance company, and now we're going to get the consultant. But us as consultants, that means work <laughs> is coming in waves, and that means money is coming in waves. We're up and we're down, and we're up and we're down. So is that fair, Jay? I know you've done consulting work myself, uh, yourself, but uh, have you been seeing that? as being a common thing with us consultants where we're um, feast or famine? Well, I, I, I can only tell you from what I've seen from over the years of me doing it and then the people that I've been able to interact with, it seems like it's exactly like you said. It comes in with seasonality. I can almost tell you, at least in my experience, that the weeks between mid-November, at least in the U.S., mid-November through probably the beginning of January, you're probably going to be kind of low because that's the holiday season. Not a lot of people are going to be calling you in unless some kind of emergency situation is occurring. And 
there's a couple weeks in the summer that are normally not too hot, but it just kind of depends on where you're located on that. Um, I've seen things not be very busy in one sections of the United States, but then you'll be totally busy in a different. But I can almost tell you the six weeks of the holidays, eh, you might as well plan for a holiday season yourself um, if, if you're looking into doing some of this. Now, I am doing my best today not to ask questions because I am terrible in regards of um, trying to take over most of the shows that I go into. So I, I'm going to apologize right away. But I want to ask you this because you brought this issue, issue to me. What do you see when you normally are interacting with people and they're starting their consulting business? What is the, the financial problem that you normally see with them? Uh, generally, it's the expectation. Uh, so um, there's a lot of symptoms to that. And the symptoms is your expectation, your expectation is that you've talked to someone and the conversation went real well. And you then go in your brain thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to get an audit out of this, a mock OSHA audit. And you're thinking that is my price range is right around whatever at the time, you know, uh, probably this client, like you get about 2500 for this and your conversation's good. You might even have a follow-up email that's good. Then your budget in your brain becomes flexible because <laughs> you're thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to get this $2,500. And if that doesn't come through, <laughs> your budget now ends up getting blown away. So the expectations that I see is that people think that, oh, you're used to getting set money from your previous job. You're going to get that set money as a consultant and it's going to happen fast. It does not a uh, surprise. That's not how this industry works. The issue that that you know and I know is that when you decide to go out on your own, it is you get to keep what you kill. At least that's the way that I look at it in regards of trying to feed yourself. And unfortunately, if you're accustomed to that consistent paycheck, unless you're on some kind of retainer, this is not how this normally occurs within our business. But everybody's slightly different. Retainers is something normally that you build out and establish, not something that's normally consistent when you're starting off from scratch and client numero uno decides to come in and start working with you. Yeah, generally it's client to client. You know how people say paycheck to paycheck? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess that's one way to look at it. And when you uh, get service contracts, now that's when you can start getting some stability, or you get like a um, like a cycle. Like for me, I'm, I teach guys who are in wastewater treatment, and especially in Florida, there's a cycle every two years that I know they need to renew. And most utilities are waiting until that final year, you know, within six months. So I know every two years or a year and a half, <laughs> I'm going to end up getting, a, you know, an influx of money. So that is like long-term planning. Uh, how do you translate that into a uh, practical budgeting mindset? <laughs> what's, what's the... Uh, Let's, let's start with the question. What is practical budgeting mindset? Well, I think that you almost have to backtrack opposed to actually starting from there. Because when you're starting a business, even if you have a corporation, an LLC, or doing business as, or a DBA, however you want to word it, mm -hmm. you have to be good with your finances. And I don't know where you start with most people when you're training them on how to become a consultant, but where does that conversation start? Because 
you have to understand that at any point when you're starting a business, even though you might have been really, really good as an employee, it's going to take a while before you make some money. It's just kind of how it works. And the other side is that more than likely during the first couple of years, and I know this sounds terrible and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer as I talk about this, the first couple of years, if you break even, consider yourself extremely lucky. And I hate that term lucky, but that's almost how it works out. So you almost have to have something built up financially before moving forward. I'm not saying you can't do it without that, but you're almost better off doing it in that fashion opposed to saying, let's do a budget and jump in and go from there. What are your thoughts? Hmm. It's just, uh, you know, you're, you're like, um, it's like one of those management theories where you're thinking you have to have that bullseye first and you need to know what that bullseye is so you can always keep going back to it. Uh, so in my brain, I'm thinking like, um, yeah, it, it, it always will boil down to income and outcome, right? It's a, uh, your anticipated income versus your actual income is going to end up being um, uh, the biggest factor. <laughs> I agree. So here's the thing. What I normally refer to what our industry does for especially consultants is irregular income. That's the best way to take a look at that. And we can talk a little bit about, more about that in just a bit. But I want to kind of backtrack. And I guess I should probably mention this, but many, many, many years ago, I'm going to talk about a program. And here's the fun part. It's not a program that I sell or that most people sell. It's just something you can read about and find out information about it. But mm -hmm. I discovered this gentleman out of Franklin, Texas, or Texas, excuse me, Franklin, Tennessee, by the name of Dave Ramsey. Yep. And he has these seven baby steps that he came up with in regard on how to improve your personal finances and how to get out of debt. Now, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, I am the most, um, well, favorable person in regards of understanding all of this, but I have used this for years and it has been extremely successful, at least from my point of view, in regards of getting out of the debt out, out of, at the time and then also being able to save and move into doing my own business. Now, I'll give you a breakdown of what it is and understand this is not my concepts. This is Dave Ramsey concepts. So yeah. if you want to look at more about that, I'm sending some links to, to Sheldon for him to be able to provide them in the show notes. Um, if that's, if that's where he wants to put them, yeah. but it is from a company called Ramsey solutions. And as you go through the seven baby steps that they have, the first one that they were, they recommend is saving a thousand dollars for an emergency fund. And that's a starter emergency fund. So that's kind of like a small one to actually, to get ready. The next thing that they tell you to do is to pay off all your debt except your house. And that's using what they call a snowball effect, which is actually writing out your smallest debt to your largest debt. So if you pay off the smallest bill that you have all the way to the largest bill, it will actually kind of get you some wins, if we can call it that, and moving forward in regards of paying off what you have going on. Now, a lot of people go... Well, mathematically, that doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't you want to pay the one with the highest interest? Yeah. I get that. That's a good question. The reason why this is not recommended is because you want to get some wins right away in regards of, okay, this is working. I'm seeing some change. And if you got in debt, 
Not that, you know, it's the best case scenario. It's going to be one of these easier ways to get you moving. And just keep in mind, if you have a $500 debt that you're trying to pay off and you pay it off, whatever you're applying towards that $500 debt moves into the next debt on the list as you continue to go forward with that. What's this called? That seems like it's uh, something that's affecting a psychology, um, like um, principle. So um, when you're... does. It's for you to actually have a win of you're seeing improving. Because imagine if you're paying the one with the highest interest and it was your largest bill. It could take you years to pay that one off. So that's why starting off smallest to largest is the way to look at it. Now, the next thing that they call is baby step three, which is saving a full emergency fund between three to six months. But that's after you've paid off all of your debt. So that's, that's the next step. After you've saved three to six months worth of expenses, let me make sure that we're clear here. It's expenses. So it's not how much money you think you'd be making. It's how much it would actually cost you to live. So yeah. that, that's the portion there. It's three to six months worth of expenses. After you've done that, and I normally lean higher towards the six-month side because, hey, if you remember a few years back, we had this great thing called COVID that occurred. And, um, Six months worth of expenses seemed like a really good idea until you realize that you were locked up for almost two years. So six yeah. months is really good. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, personally, um, my family uh, my family and me would have not made it without having this kind of lined out. It's just kind of the way that it worked. Yeah. The next portion that they talk about is invest 15% of your household income into retirement. 15%. Now, there's different ways that you can do that. Um, if you're a safety consultant, you're more than likely not part of a 401k, just kind of how it works. There's some yep. things that are called Roth IRAs that are out there. I will tell you, I am not a CPA. I would recommend strongly speaking to a CPA about doing that kind of investment. Currently, for the year of 2023, the most that you can invest in it is $6,500. Just want you to know that. For a year, you can only invest $6,500. $500. The hmm. next portion, if you have children, it says save for your um, for your kids' college fund. That would be baby step number five, but that's only if you have children. If you don't have children, you skip that step. It's, it's the greatest part about the whole thing. But if you do, there are different measures that you can take in regards of saving for your college tuition. And I'll tell you, once you go to the website and take a look at what he has to offer in regards of different information, there's different ways to be able to save for it. And there are sometimes some state-specific programs that you can invest in where you'll pay today's college amount for the future. So you could pay today's, what it would cost today to go to college, but for your kid that's graduating in 2030 or whatever that be at that time. They used to be able to gift that to people too. I don't know if you can still do that. It's going to be state-specific on how that actually works. But I, in Florida, you can still gift it. And I only say that because you're sitting in Florida and I'm sitting in Florida. Not that, you know, <laughs> we're, we're only doing Florida-specific. Then baby step number six is pay off your home early. And, of course, once you've actually gotten out of debt and you've done these other things, it's the portion of actually being able to dump the money into your house. And that way, you're 100% debt-free, which that's kind of the goal of all of us. To some point. And then last but not least is baby step number seven, which is build wealth and give some money away. Because, you know, there's always some good things in being able to help out other people um, or even organizations on what's going on there when you have the, the money to be able to do so. 
So that's a quick versionality of the seven baby steps. But the reason that I talk about this, because I think that this will kind of help you move forward in regards on how you should almost look at your business financing. And some of these portions, you have to understand, some people will get into debt to start a business and some people will not. So it really depends on where you're kind of standing with inside of there. Some people say, hey, I need to start off first thing with a business plan and a business loan. That's up to you. Listen, I'm going to tell you what's worked for me. I can't tell you what's going to work for you. Everybody does things differently. And then some people will go in, well, I looked into this little program that you talked about, and he says not to use credit cards, but how am I going to accept payments? That's up to you on how you want to set it up. I can only tell you, this is what I use. If you go to my website and are trying to book something with me, you'll realize that I take credit cards, but that's the business option that I chose to do. So Mm -hmm. it's up to you on how you want to do it. So let's get into some meat and potatoes because that's what we really want to talk about is regular income. And it's really talking about how you have things set up. So when you start taking a look at this, are we day one in regards of doing this? Or are we looking at this as we've already have some clients established? I guess it should probably be the best way to ask you this. Yeah, so um, with the mindset, I would say, would be for those that uh, if it's possible to do two tracks, then uh, first track would be uh, I'm thinking about leaving my job. I've got my my retirement that I'm going to cash out, and that's going to fund my organization. Uh, that's one thought. The second that's a terrible thing, idea, by the way, because it's going to cost you all kinds of money in, um, in uh, taxes for the end of the year, whatever your tax bracket is, plus the penalty is what you're going to end up paying for whatever you take out. I'm just saying that's, that's how that. And then the other track would be uh, that I've got a handful of clients and now, um, or maybe even just one big client that is causing you to think, okay, let me, let me do this full time. Uh, Cause I got this one client that's good and I'll build on that and get more, more later. Uh, so let's, let's work on that mindset and it's a service contract. So, you so, know, you have something coming in. So if you're coming out with something coming in, the way that a lot of this documentation is listed is to really write out what are your expenses for the month? So you should almost write a budget like you would with anything that you would do. So you normally have some level of a profit and loss statement. You would have to almost look at it it in that particular version. So you would list all of your expenses. Yeah. All All of your expenses. You can do it for the workplace or you can do it for exactly how you would do it for your home as well. Now, I always tell people you want to start off with the four walls. Food, utility, shelter, and transportation. So... If you can remember the four, these oh, are the four yeah. pillars. Yeah, they are. I mean, or you can call it the four pillars if it makes you happy. All right. I, I like the walls. The walls is what keeps the house up. So food, utility, shelter, and transportation. Because you need your food, you need your utilities to live inside of there, of course, somewhere to, to live. And then if you're working, you want to get back and forth to wherever the, the heck goes, goes from there. Then the next things that you need to take a look at is stuff that's essentials like insurance, debt, child care. Um, and then of course, last but not least, non-essentials like TV streaming services and all that kind of stuff. You can list that on there. But I always say the essentials need to go first. That way you can have an actual budget of what's actually going on. 
<laughs> Here's the and thing. Then Disney Plus later. <laughs> you, know, you, you can have those things later on, but then you need to subtract your expenses from the potential income that's coming in. So you use the example earlier of every two years you have X clients that normally come back. Well, if you have someone on a retainer, you have a guesstimate of what's coming in. With an irregular income, here's the problem. The only thing that you can do is that you know you have X expenses. How are you going to make the money for the cost to subtract it? That's the thing. So I can't tell you how to make money because your business is going to more than likely be niche specific. But this is the best way to take a look at it. And these forms are available um, in regards out there. Now, what I would say is list all the expenses as possible and then track them along the month as you're getting this income coming in. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we normally tell people when it comes to these forms, if you're just using like a regular income form, that you probably need to look at this once a month. But unfortunately, when it comes to a regular income, because it's irregular, you're probably looking at this once or twice a week just to be able to track it. Yeah. Because you don't yeah. really know what's coming in. So you're going to have to track your expenses all month long in regards of what's going on. And then you're going to have to make adjustments as you're getting paid. That's the only way that you're going to know if you're making it or not. You see how this becomes a little bit more problematic when it starts looking at a regular income opposed to regular income? Because yeah. now you're making adjustments. So it's it's no different than running a business. I mean, because this is essentially what you're doing. If you had a profit and loss statement, you only know that you're going to survive by doing X, Y, and Z. So it's always moving. It's it's a good problem to have, but what you're looking at is to have all of your expenses covered for that month. Because the worst thing that can happen is that you're taking expenses from the previous month and then they're lagging into the next month. But this is stuff that you already know and the people listening already know. Yeah. Wow. After, after this is going on, the next thing that you'll have to do is once you've seen how your expenses are moving, it's about yeah. making a new budget for the next month. And you're almost repeating the exact same cycle. But you have, to, you have to plan these things out. If you don't know where you are, at least starting when you're first starting off consistently where the business is at, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to figure out as you go. So if I could give a quick breakdown here, it'd be list your income, list your expenses, subtract your expenses from your income. Check. Track your expenses all month long. Make adjustments on your payday and then make a new budget before the next month begins because that's the only way that you'll be able to see this. And I would love to tell you that there's some kind of secret sauce of this is how you can make money in your specific niche. There's ways to do it, but without knowing niche specific, it becomes a very difficult conversation to have to go, okay, well, if you do this, this, and this, this will this will cut cut everything. And the other portion is, as when you're first starting off this, mm-hmm. if you can take a look and see what your salary needs to be, is there a salary need starting off? If you're doing as you were saying earlier in regards to taking out of your retirement fund to, to fund this business, is there a way where you don't have to receive a salary at first? Maybe that's yeah. some other aspect to think about. And listen, I know that it sucks doing work without getting paid, but... You have to look at it, too, on what is it going to take in the long run for all of it to work. So. 
oh, it's always great to have uh, like someone else with the board because now you can do like uh, board wars, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so now the mindset. Um, what about the? Uh, let's say someone who's who's developed already some of these uh, bad habits. Your 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 company's got uh, to, to chip out, if you will. Um, the mindset would be: Are you extending out to try to get more and more work, aka more and more income, and then um, reducing your ex everything going out? You know your expenses uh, to the degree that you're um, uh, buying bargain groceries and uh, you're not eating out anymore and there's no there's no shame in not eating out i mean let's just be let's just be realistic if you can avoid it that's the best way to best way to do it but sometimes there's aspects where you have to take your clients out for dinner or lunch or whatsoever you have to think about that because that's portion of your customer acquisition cost yeah. You have to look at it from some of the aspects. And you will you can talk to plenty of different people that will tell you it takes money to make money and all those lovely jargon things that people like to say. There is some truth to it. There is some truth to how it actually works. Now, there is a huge difference from taking them to Ruth Crest in regards of going um, for a steak dinner opposed to trying to take them somewhere that's not super fancy but understanding that you're within reason too. There's, there's a client that benefits from both. Some might consider you, um, we'll use the word frugal. Some might consider you cheap. Some might say that you might overspend. Some might people say, might say, this is exactly right on par of what we're looking for. But these yeah, are things yeah. that you have to consider for customer acquisition costs. As you're lowering your costs as you're moving forward, what you're always trying to do as you're doing the items for your workspace is you want to be able to charge these things back to your potential clients. This is really what it boils down to. So if you know that it's going to cost you X amount of time to do whatever niche you're in, you want to add that cost plus whatever it costs you for the customer to obtain them as part of the cost of what you're doing for the work. If you don't look at it in that fashion, it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to make money doing this. And yeah. listen, I'm not trying to say you need to go out there and charge $10,000 an hour because that's just ridiculous in regards of doing it unless you're doing something that's work hazard related that hey, that says, hey, you need to make $10,000 an hour. Yeah. Please call me and let me know what field that is because I'm definitely in the wrong field. Yeah, yeah, me too. I want that. <laughs> but, that's, but that's kind of the stuff to think about on how does this actually, and how does this work that will benefit people in regards as they're moving forward. And what happens most of the time is that people believe that they're going to become consultant or con or independent contractors and yeah. they're going to make, we'll just say, loads of money starting off, not understanding that some of the people that you see out there that are very successful in the safety industry, they've been doing this for years and years and years and years and they're not the overnight sensation that some believe that they are. And that's, um, it's like it's validation so too. Yeah. And so I, I know um, I'm switching mics because you're just listening to me for this whole interview. I'm sorry, but for some reason your audio broke up really bad whenever you were saying so. I didn't make out what you were saying. I apologize about that. All right. Are we back now? Yeah, we're back. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, that's me. My, uh, my audio 
uh, from my mic. I switch from one to the other. So I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> I had that sound. So uh, I had another thought while you're going through that too. Um, valuations for for consultants, and then also when you want to branch your business out and you're looking to do stuff like podcasting and all that, uh, that's part of the income part, right? So uh, valuation for those people that may not know if someone's telling you, hey, give me um, $1,000 and you're going to get 10% of my business, then they're telling you that their business is valued at $10,000, right? So, right? So at that point, uh, you now have some you know numbers to work with. But for a consultant, and if you're trying to, um, for instance, if I want to sell my podcast, uh, and not you know, selling my podcast, but advertising, and you're trying to get uh, more people to, to be or I should say the value of the podcast to be more. And I'm looking at my LinkedIn follows and all that stuff. Is there a valuation formula that you could use for, you know, again, this is the income part of, of our evaluation. Uh, well, it's kind of, there's so many different mixed bags on when it comes to podcasting and evaluating and things along those lines. And let me explain just kind of just some rough cut numbers here. There was this perception for a long period of time that for you to be able to get advertisers inside of a podcast, using that as an example, you would need to have some big company doing the podcast acquisition for you in regards of getting a client in and all that. That's really not the case. What I would recommend strongly is only interacting with brands that you really like. That's the first thing because you'll have a little bit more joy in regards of doing it. Now, we talked about something earlier called customer acquisition cost. Yes. So what you want to ask to this favorite brand of yours is what do they normally charge or what do they normally pay for a customer acquisition? And they're going to give you a number because most good companies will know a number on what it costs them to acquire a client. So let's say, for instance, I'll just throw some random number out there. You have the average listeners of 500. And they want to actually buy into your podcast. You need to look at this and say, okay, if your average acquisition cost per customer is, let's say, $1,000. I don't know if that's it, but we'll just say that. And you release one episode per week. What you need to tell them is one out of your 500 people will more than likely buy a will actually buy something for them because if you're listening to them, that's going to be something you're going to be very favorable about. So I would say, let's do a test run. That be it a month or two, but you, then that's going to depend on how your frequency on releasing podcast episodes. And then that's the price that you quote them. And I want to talk about podcasting in particular. Podcasting in the safety world has become one of these things that you're seeing more and more popular as of late, which is a great thing because when you and I started doing this a few years ago, we could almost count on one hand the amount of people that were out there doing it. Yes. And then one hand of how many were good. <laughs> well, we can probably still count that at how many are good to this day. But the, the thing that you have to look at is when you're looking at podcasting is you have to look at that as a marketing strategy. It's not so much for hey, you to have a conversation with someone. And I know that sounds terrible, especially because you're listening to a podcast right now as I'm telling you this, but it is yeah. a marketing strategy in regards of look at the knowledge base, look at what we have to offer, and this is what's out there. So it is a good aspect of marketing. 
it's not about giving everything away. It's about letting clients, potential clients know that this is what you have to offer. Now, if you listen to any of the shows that I have, uh, that I actually host, the majority of them have some kind of advertiser on them. And that's because it's either a product that I believe in or someone bought um, a lot of ads a long time ago that I still owe them. And that's how it actually works. So you'll hear it either in the middle of the episode, the beginning or the end of the episode. And it's done because it's strategically placed for somebody to listen to that particular advertiser. So that's one portion you have to think about. So it's not that we're trying to lose the messaging of what the importance is of the podcast. Because if I tell you, hey, I have this information about OSHA that I want to share with you. And then all of a sudden, I have Joe Blow, blah, 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 from down the road advertising X. Well, it's because Joe Blow paid to have that actual podcast put out, even though it's about OSHA. So that's some of the stuff that you have to look at is you want to make sure that if you do have an advertiser inside of the podcast that you are putting out, that it is something that kind of flows with the podcast itself. Because if you put something entirely random, it's going to throw off most of your audience. And listen, you don't like advertising. I don't like advertising and some of the stuff that I watch. Like I pay for streaming services not to have advertising. I purposely buy those. I have YouTube that purposely has no advertising. But understand that because the podcasts are normally free, that's the only way that um, the producer, creator, whatever you want to call them, can generate revenue. Yeah. And it's been a, a labor of love for me for, for what, four years now, three years now, where I've been self-funded. So eventually I'm going to branch out to that. So that conversation is is uh, very, very close to my decision-making right now. <laughs> but I think that sometimes we tend to forget on the different aspects of safety communication. And I'm very passionate about that subject. And the reason behind it is because there's different ways to be able to communicate with people. And listen, I, I love to listen, I love to learn by audio. I don't need a visual aspect of it. I learn by audio. So I listen to stuff all the time. Um, if you probably run into me on the road. Three and a half speed. <laughs> right. And it's a one and a half speed to two speed, sometimes three, depending on how good the speaker is. But what ends up, what ends up taking place is that if you run into me, I constantly have my headphones on. And the reason behind it is because that's how I learn and I'm constantly trying to research stuff. But there's people inside of your organization or people that you can actually be working with inside of other organizations that learn differently. So if you take some of that communication that you have and you do, let's say, for instance, you're doing something similar to how Shelton's doing right now, where he's doing a podcast, he's doing a video cast, and now all of a sudden you add the words to the bottom of the screen you might have somebody stay longer because there's three different options. Think about a time that you've been on social media where you couldn't listen to something, but you could read the words and you'll know what kind of impact that those texts have that are going on in that captioning. And you can repurpose a lot of this stuff where you can take a one minute clip out of this episode and repurpose it for something entirely different. And people tend to forget that that's part of communication. I will tell you, I get to interact with a whole bunch of different safety consultants throughout the world. And people will buy large, long-form messaging to be able to chop it up and repurpose it into several different things. And that's the stuff that you have to think about of, does my class serve a purpose if I cut one piece out? Or does my consulting work serve one purpose if I actually cut a piece of it out and put it on social media 
to gather people to come back. And it's all about that communication piece. And if we're being realistic, a lot of us suck in the way that we communicate in regards to the world of safety. You sound like Sam now. <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. It's like safety first. <laughs> it's safety first and all this. I mean, and let's be realistic. Sam Goodman is really, really good at what he's what he does. He's not everybody's cup of tea because he's so direct on how he actually does the things. Oh, yeah. I, love, I love him to death. I think he's I great. I call him I call him the safety rock star when you know when when we're around each other, even even like this. Via, yep. via virtual, but it's one of those things that he does it in a fashion and he's very passionate about it. I'm not saying you need to be go out, go out there and be the next Sam Goodman, but you have to look at it too, that you have to know the audience that's around you and how you're communicating that information. Now for safety pros, they, um, it's seductive in a way mm-hmm. where you get all the attention and you actually could feel like uh, like you're... you're um, you're your own uh, celebrity, if you would, in, in this little circle. <laughs> so a lot of people want to translate that into uh, some sort of presence online. And I've seen quite a few things like uh, gimmick-wise on Facebook or, or LinkedIn, and in some cases even YouTube channels that have started and faded away. <laughs> um, the intention is always to build your business by getting more eyes to you, right? So that's generally what they're they're trying to do here. And and you're a consultant to consultants in these areas. Uh, what's the better way to use our energy to get people to um, to see that oh here we're here, we've got products, we've got service that we could support uh, supply to you, but you're doing it in such a way that it's. I don't know, clickbaity is well, what comes to mind. Well, let me let me explain a, a couple of things here. The problem that a lot of us run into that get into this is that they've seen the success of someone else. And they think that the best way to do it is to mimic. And here's the problem. Whoever you're attempting to mimic, you're not them. So, Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, they're always going to be ahead of the curve, and you're going to always try to be copying what they're doing. You don't want to do that because people will realize authenticity pretty quick. So if you are you doing it, because listen, the way that I teach stuff is totally different than the way that Sheldon teaches stuff, and the way that Sheldon teaches stuff is entirely different on how I do it. Is his version better than mine? I don't know. Is his version worse than mine? I don't know. It's a matter of opinion. There are people out there that love listening to what Sheldon has to say week after week. There's people that come to my show and hate what I'm doing, and I'm perfectly fine with it. I look at it from the standpoint of everybody's going to be relatable to someone different. Like, I will tell you, as we sit here today, and I just finished recording the 706th episode of the Rated R Safety Show, I thought the moment that I put that show out, and you and I had several conversations behind the scenes when I first started doing it, that I thought that would tank my career. I really thought that that show was going to ruin everything for me. If you would have told me back then that I would be doing that show every day, I would have probably laughed at you saying, there's no way that I'm going to do it. But that target audience is much different than the audience that you would have. That would be much different than the audience that someone like Todd Conklin would have. So it's all those things that you have to think about. You might not become the next Todd Conklin of the world. 
You might not be the next Sydney Decker of the world, but there is a target audience that you're going after because you have a niche that's different than what they do. So you have to think about that. So don't try to be someone else. Some of their concepts are great. Don't get me wrong. I think Todd has some of the best concepts that are out there in regards of human and organizational performance and how you can relay them with people. But I don't want to be the next Todd Conklin. I love being able to pick up the phone and asking any questions that I have to him. But also at the same time, he teaches in a manner that if I ever tried to do it, all I would be doing is copying. So think about that. Learn it in the fashion that's suitable for you and the things that you're doing. Uh, for those people that are listening, and and most of us as consultants, we um, we've got a specialty in something. That's what what's driven us outside of working in a, in a, uh, an environment uh, that is just basically holding us back, if you will. So, what's the, the thought process for? Uh, getting our knowledge out there, but also promoting ourselves with vehicles such as books and events and uh, uh, maybe even our own webinars and stuff like that. Is that uh, a trend that you're seeing that people are doing where they're self-hosting or trying to get other people to help them out on that? Well, I've seen kind of a couple of different things. Listen, don't get me wrong. Um, It's not bad to try to promote your own thing. Not, not an issue whatsoever. But if you're on the LinkedIn's of the world, the YouTube's of the world, we even will go even as far as the Facebook's of the world, and you're only actually marketing to the people that you already have on your list, you're not going to get much further than your list. It's like fishing in a barrel. You're not going to do much of anything opposed to fishing at a sea. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, there are people out there that can help you expand your world and expand what's going on. And there's different ones that are, they're, they're kind of continuity-based. So it's based on what you're trying to accomplish. So there's some that are in the safety industry. There are some that are do mass marketing. But you have to understand that it's all going to depend on the clients that you're looking for. And sometimes people get confused of, oh, well, I need someone who specializes in safety. Here's the catch. If you look at someone who actually specializes in safety marketing, they're only going after other safety professionals. They're not going after, per se, the large ticketed clients that you might be looking for that are looking for something within the industry. The other portion, too, as we're talking about this, as you're trying to expand, what you always want to do if you have the opportunity to is tell a person that you are willing to work with them And that you would ask, and you can give them some level of a discount because everybody wants a discount, a 5%, a 10%, as long as they leave you a review, number one, and a three-client referral. Three-client referrals. Three real clients. Not not like friends, not like some Joe Smo from down the road. Three actual clients that you could call. You'll expand your business relatively quick in regards of doing it, Plus, because they're a referral that they are of somebody that the client already knows, it kind of helps speed some things up. So that will help you increase across the board. Now, three clients at a time, I know that will take some time, but your marketing materials, as you were talking about books earlier, webinars, and so on, these are things that are good, that are good to track people. But here's the thing. 
someone who's being sold to will recognize being sold to as you're doing those things. So it has to have some level of meat and potatoes behind it. Because if you're selling to me of, if you do this behind curtain number two, there's this, but you don't get curtain number two until the paywall. Certain people will only buy into it once or twice before they're not going to go back to your to your event or go back to your ebook. So you're going to have to keep those things in mind. What's yeah. what is it worth to you? Hmm. And that's uh, that's the conversation between having someone uh, being a repeat customer or you're just trying to get them the one time. So again, that's intent. Uh, and that would be basically whatever your strategy is. Are you trying to get a whole bunch of money one time and then you're going to stretch that out? Or are you looking to get people to come back and uh, be repeat customers? Well, I mean, you have to look at it too. A lot of, of what we do in this industry, because number one, it's such a small industry, you always want to be a repeat client. Because here's the conversation you don't want a client to have about you. They came by once and that was the only time we used them. Because that does not sound good. That sounds like something went wrong. Hmm. That's true. Uh, that's a, a, a great perspective to to see from the other end of someone who is um, potentially going to hire you. <laughs> it's thinking, all right, what's this person's track record? And they're looking for repeat customers for that express purpose. Right. Hmm, not bad. Not I mean, it's, and everybody's going to have their own perspective on it. And listen, don't get me wrong. I think eBooks are great. We write one once a month here um, for our Safety FM Plus platform that we actually use, and it's part of the subscription-based model that we use. The other portion is, I think webinars are great, but they have to be webinars that are changing something or informing people. And I want to reference this because I think this happens a lot to us as safety consultants, is that we forget that just because we're repeating a message over and over and over and over again, it does not mean that everyone's heard it. Because listen, you can repeat the same thing a thousand times and you might have a hundred different people hear it every single time that you say it, not necessarily the same people. I can tell you that I get to, like I said, I get to interact with a lot of safety consultants and I've heard their messaging in regards of it being over and over again, the same message and new clients hearing that. If you can get really good at something, it should be at repeating the same story as if you were saying it the first time. Oh man, amen to that. Because I uh, actually, from teaching the COS M and the COS classes, as long as I have since 2013, <laughs> I get used to the same thing over and over and over. So, you know, I do have to push myself to learn a little bit more on each topic because from 2013 to now, here we are in 2023 things have changed. So now that just means even though I'm repeating the same topic, the topic itself has new messages that I have to keep up on. So I guess that's the difference between uh, being a forever learner and someone who's just used to going through the the PowerPoints, you know, death by PowerPoint. Oh yeah, no death by PowerPoint. Like I've been to, I've been to some events where there's 200 um, slides in a PowerPoint where also I've been to other ones where there's five slides and the person's supposed to be talking for an hour and that's all they have is five slides. It's that story of telling ability. But 
I, believe me, I understand when you repeat something over and over again, it can become very stagnant sounding unless you change it. And you have to change it like it's new. And it becomes that the group becomes more engaging the newer that it sounds. They want to be that first time um, listener, if one may call it that, of hearing X story. Yeah. Hey, um, to go full circle and to really help me a little, I have been one of these um, um, outspoken disciples, if you would, of uh, Todd and, and, and Sidney Decker together, you know, and truly do safety differently has not left my possession <laughs> in quite a bit. And I've listened to the audio version, hearing yourself in there as well. And that was awesome. Um, the thing that I get with my students lately is um, a lot of them are still bought into the Heinrich theory and uh, they really believe about the the unsafe acts and uh, that it's mostly because of behavior and not knowing that that you know, that whole 85 to 95 percent of all accidents or human behavior is, you know, total bunk. <laughs> so me and Todd actually talked about that in the interview I did with him. Uh, but uh, you and the other end, because you get to to see it on the the uh, logistics side, especially in transportation. Uh, have you seen where there is more of a resistance to not using the metrics of lagging indicators as total recordable injuries, days away restricted e-mods, uh, that that it's running the safety departments as opposed to them being a capacity for uh, improvement in the organization. They're chasing things just because they need to keep those EMODs at a certain level in order for their company to save money on insurance. Are you seeing that as well? I know that's a big <laughs> big question tied into to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, no, it, it's, it's a big question, but it's an interesting question. And let's explain. Because so when you start going into EMODs, keep in mind that a lot of actual tracking that takes place in the transportation industry is related to what they believe that they're going to be able to predict the future, what exactly were their accident, their risk, and all everything from the previous years. And that plays in a huge factor into their insurance. And then if, let's say, for instance, let's say it's a pretty big transportation company, that will also make a determination if they can bid on X contract coming up via RFP. So that's some stuff to think about as, as you are moving. So to answer your question, do they still track it in that fashion? Unfortunately, the majority of organizations still do it in that fashion. Now, I will tell you, recently I was able to go to a little conference, and the conference spoke mostly about safety and simulations. And there is this big play right now of things being simulated to be able to predict the future. And someone while they were there said this thing that I thought was pretty, pretty interesting. If we were able to predict the future, wouldn't one of these large oil and gas companies buy the one that would determine what the lottery is? Because why wouldn't they want to know the lottery numbers? I mean, it would be simpler to be able to do that. Then there was an argument on the other side is that every day we listen to a simulation and we believe that it's going to occur. And somebody kind of questioned that. And that's the weather person. Every day you believe in some way, shape, or form 
that what the meteorologist told you is going to be what the weather occurs for the next day or for the next 10 days. I obsess. I truly obsess about that. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, but just think about it. So is there a happy medium between the two? Simulation and no simulation? That's the question that I would love to be able to answer for you. But there's a whole group of people that are out there that believe in a thing called simulation theory. And that can open all the Pandora's box. So my answer is essentially a non-answer. Which one's the good, which one's the bad, and which one's the ugly? I don't know. I've heard both answers. And unfortunately, to this day, the transportation industry, or the majority of it, believe that they can predict the future based on what they've seen in the past. 329.1 is still a pretty big thing in the transportation industry. Do I agree with it? Not really, because I was in the transportation industry for a long period of time. And I believed in that bracelet because we used to wear a bracelet that said it. Um, and then came to the, the conclusion in looking at different things that it's, it's not accurate, but one can argue both sides of the equation. Yeah. And that's, um, that's what makes it so hard for organizations to break the old paradigm related to safety because the, the numbers drive, um, it, the numbers are without context, but it's driving organizational behavior. And that is, uh, it makes it where the safety officer doesn't have almost enough leeway to start changing things so that they can be a capacity. Like for instance, for those of you listening, uh, here's, here's an example. Let's say you're doing a, um, a lockout tag out uh, inspection for your, your facility and you're going to go and you wanted to, to see how the workers are performing the activity of putting on any kind of lock and uh, tag for control of a hazardous energy and how do they look for the hazardous energy and all that stuff. So let's say during your inspection that not only did you notice that uh, it took them so long to get locks together because uh, the, the station has been pillaged or people aren't putting tags back or whatever and now they're they're looking for stuff. You find that now and you tell the big bosses that, hey, uh, not only is the lockout tagout program need some help, but uh, we're also noticing that there's uh, dysfunction in this organization in this portion. And now safety has identified a certain dysfunction as long as well as an issue with lockout tagout. So now safety becomes more of the way that the organization learns how they're doing work as not only imagined, but work as it is, you know, truly in the field. And now safety is the uh, the catalyst, if you would, for the organization to be more efficient as opposed to just safety cops. <laughs> so am I describing that uh, correctly? Is, is, is how that would be? Well, that's normally how the layout of the land works for most transportation industries. Now, the funny part is that I've been involved with the actual box goods of the of the transportation industry, even as as far down as taxi cabs inside of the industry. So I've seen a little bit of everything, and almost what you just said verbatim is exactly what occurs day in and day out, and how those things are laid out. And it becomes one of those things of at what point do we start actually transferring from safety to doing things safely? And now I did hear that recently. And I thought it was genius on how it's said because 
it's not about getting rid of the of the safety department, but if we start thinking about doing things in a safely kind of way, maybe things would transpire opposed to it looking as that safety cop that's there. Because that's what a lot of people still look at the safety people, especially in the transportation industry. And it doesn't help that some transportation industries um, inside of there, they have a safety person's car that looks like a cop car that doesn't help things. So that's some stuff to think about. I mean, I'll tell you, especially in the busing industry, that's exactly how that car looks like, at least at the, at the ones that I got to, interact, got to interact with. So I look at this and I go, how do you change the mindset? You can only change the mindset by improving the overall numbers of what they're looking at, which almost buys into that whole pyramid syndrome, which is a terrible thing, but also a thing that's difficult to disprove at the moment because of how they're trending and tracking their numbers of what's going on. Does that make sense? Or does that, I know it can get confusing with some of that yeah, stuff, yeah. but I always look yeah, at no, it and I go. N is going to give you bad analysis. <laughs> so that's really what it boils down to. It's a, uh, it's, data that doesn't have correct con context uh, so and it's it's manipulated to not have correct context because it's giving you a quick result that you could get some good numbers on and then those numbers become defensible in a court of law <laughs> so there's you know, I, I remember working for an organization that we had cameras inside of it and we were not allowed to call them cameras they were behavior modification devices and what would happen is that the gyroscope that was inside of there, if they hard braked automatically, the camera would send me a video. If they went over the speed limit based on what it, it could actually see, it would send me a video by them going over the speed limit. Um, there was all kinds of different things. If somebody yelled inside of the vehicle, it would send me something. Because what this did was depending on what that score system that the behavior modification item gave them, that's how they determined their cost of their insurance by the, for the end of the year. So it wow. played a huge factor in there. And if you racked up so many points, you were uninsurable based on what the system said. Now, let's say, for instance, you were driving and somebody hard braked in front of you and you had to slam on your brakes. Well, it didn't know, it couldn't tell the difference between that. So that was counted against you because you had to hard brake. So and it, it had something to do this and you get yourself. Um, uh, uh, some sort of post-accident drug screening or something similar. And at that point, now the driver is going to have some sort of smudge on their record because they had to do that. And they're going to be called in in front of their buddies. And now that social thing is going to happen in their life. Uh, so there's trickle-down effects to, to those actions. Right. So, I mean, and, and it was always a, to an extent of like the sh blame shame game. And keep in mind that most people that have a CDL driver's li or a CDL license, uh, the way that it actually works is they're held to a higher standard anyways. So as you could actually be below the limit, li the legal limit at driving at a 0 0.07, um, well, if you have a, if you have a CDL, the highest you can be is a 0 0.03 at a 0 0.04, they arrest you because that's the kind of license that you have. So there's some different things that take place. Plus, you have to have like a medical card to be able to drive that a lot of people don't believe when you start telling them about that. And then based on variation, it could be good for three months to up to two years, just depending on how, how healthy you are. And I mean, there's a number of things that come into play inside of there. And what I find amazing is that if you talk to someone who's married to someone who's in the transportation industry and you say, hey, look over the requirements from DOT, 
Yeah. They'll tell you that their spouse can't meet, meet everything that's inside of there. So how do you look at it? I mean, just the majority of the people that I've done that test with, they'll say, man, my spouse can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, it's definitely an an interesting industry, ever evolving. I look at very, I look at it very similar to the maritime industry on how things change on how they're moving forward. But then also at the same time, maritime seems to be leading more towards the the house of hop as of recent, um, as that they were not before. Yeah, maritime is uh, tricky. I've got a maritime client right now, and uh, it, it has been tricky <laughs> for me, especially with jurisdictions and all that stuff, too. And so, man, see, we started out talking about finances, and then we wrap into also some other things because that's us. <laughs> that's where <laughs> our mind goes. <laughs> so, man, I like to thank you so much for like truly this whole, I don't know, coming out, helping me get online, you know, get back doing live stuff and all that. I'm a, I'm a big fan on this one. So thank you so much, man. Oh, thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. This episode has been powered by Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast or broadcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within the past hour are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast or broadcast may be reproduced, stored within a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast or broadcast, Sheldon Primus.